39 with you here on the Green Zone on a Tuesday afternoon. I hope you all had a fantastic family day. Or maybe you're taking the whole week off with the kids, with them not being at school this week. Wherever we find you this afternoon, I hope you're having a great Tuesday. Of course, today on the Green Zone, we will keep you up to date on Skylar Ackerman, Saskatchewan rink at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Starting in about a half an hour from now, we'll take on Kerry Anderson, then Team Canada, the back-to-back-to-back-to-back Scotties champions. I got that right, four straight for Kerry Anderson. Uh, but Skylar Ackerman didn't have a great Monday, didn't have a great family day in Calgary, lost both of her games yesterday, both of which were televised the first time the 22-year-old Skip and her young team were the featured games on TSN yesterday and struggled, especially with the draw weight uh, yesterday for Saskatchewan. So we'll see if it improves this afternoon against Canada. It's not quite a must-win, but it's getting pretty darn close. They will not be the feature game. That'll be Quebec against Alberta as St. George at 3-1 and one takes on still the undefeated Alberta rink. And in the other pool, we talked to Jennifer Jones on Friday, announced her retirement going into her final Scotties Tournament of Hearts, at least a competitive curling on the women's side. She'll still participate in mixed doubles with her husband. But Jennifer Jones, and I said, you just about won it last year. Why not win the whole darn thing in your last Scotties? And she was very modest and said, it's a great field. Well, Jennifer Jones is at 4-0, and tied with Rachel Holman at the top of Pool B. And those two teams square off tonight. I, uh, I'm i going to assume it's going to be the feature game on TSN tonight with uh, Jennifer Jones against Rachel Holman. But, yeah, starting at 2.30, we'll keep you up to date on Skylar Ackerman, Saskatchewan, against Team Canada at Kerry Anderson. It would be a monster upset, but a, a big win for their playoff hopes if they're able to win this one. But they played Caitlin Laws, played Krista McCarville, two veterans of the Scotties, and were able to beat them over the weekend. Also on the green zone today, Justin Dunk's going to swing in from Three Down Nation, our CFL analyst. Tim White is now off the board, but Three Down Nation has jumped the riders up their power rankings. Plus, we need to get into a debate today. They treated Simone Lawrence like a king last week when he announced his retirement, or as he put it, graduation from CFL player to now an ambassador with the Tiger Cats. There's going to be a Simone Lawrence day. Here in Saskatchewan, we have a different opinion of Simone Lawrence. He's one of the dirtiest players in the CFL that we've seen in a long time. He's he's taken cheap shots. He's gone headhunting. He hit Zach Kalaros, which changed the fate of the Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers way back in the early stages of that game in 2019. And I'm going to ask Justin Dunk. Even though Simone Lawrence is a top 10 player in tackles in CFL history, should he be a CFL or a Canadian football Hall of Famer? Will be the question with Simone Lawrence. I imagine that'll have an interesting debate. We're also going to discuss the man who just can't stop scoring goals all of a sudden in the National Hockey League. And, of course, that man is Austin Matthews. Yeah, Marner couldn't get it to him, but gets the puck back. Nice retrieval in front. Matthews scores. It's 49, and the Leafs have the lead. Now, Austin Matthews, tomorrow night, 
of course, in Arizona, where he's from, could score 50 in 54 games. That would be the fastest to 50 in a long, long time. Actually, it was Austin Matthews who scored 50 in 62. It was the fastest in 25 years. Connor McDavid last year scored 50 in 61 to be even fa- We could see 50 in 54 games from Austin Matthews. He is on pace for a 70-goal season. But there are those out there who, and even the uh, futures bets out there, that say Connor McDavid is the favorite to win the Hart Trophy as the league's MVP. I'm sorry, if if Matthews gets to 65, 70 goals, isn't he the Hart Trophy winner for MVP? It is the name of the game is to score goals after all. And Austin Matthews is doing it at a pace that we haven't seen in a long time. As well as, what was it, three consecutive hat-tricks? It was unreal how Austin Matthews has really taken off. Since Morgan Riley got suspended, they're 4-0 and without Morgan Riley on the ice. The other day I heard the stat there, 12 and 2 without Morgan Riley in the lineup? He's their best defensive player. What? Evidently, they just play way more sound defense when they realize Morgan Riley isn't in the lineup. But the uh, commissioner today, this just came in. But the commissioner, Gary Bettman, has ruled on Morgan Riley. Remember, they went to appeal, and because this is a suspension of five games or less, the final call is. Gary Bettman's. If it was six or more, it goes to you can appeal through an independent arbitrator. I believe David Perron is doing that with his six game suspension for a similar play, which is cited in the 11 page document Gary Bettman put. You could tell Gary Bettman, the trained lawyer, went, Whoa, I get to write a report on case study? He probably, he, this is probably the best day in. Years for Gary Bettman to write this 11-page document on why he's ruling that the five-game suspension is being upheld. Morgan Riley will finish off his suspension tomorrow against Arizona the next time you see him later this week when Toronto takes on the Vegas Golden Knights. But you go through a summary of facts, procedural history, the contentions of the NHLPA, the full analysis from Gary Bettman. You can tell Gary just had a blast writing this thing out. But there's a few points in here. Mr. Riley pursued Mr. Gregg for some time and had sufficient opportunity to engage him in a different manner. Mr. Riley himself testified he could have engaged Mr. Gregg in a different manner. Mr. Riley admitted that his cross-check was... Intentional. But there was another thing we heard over and over and over again from the pundits and you about this play, which was what Ridley Gregg did, which was take a slap shot from 10 feet into an empty net. One of the most egregious actions an NHL player may have ever put on the ice. I hope kids had their eyes closed when Gregg slapped that puck into the ice, into the net. Gary Bettman addresses that. Although much of the testimony offered by Mr. Riley Treliving and Shanahan at the hearing concerned whether Mr. Greg's slap shot was provocative, that discussion is utterly irrelevant. 
Mr. Riley's actions were not undertaken in self-defense. They were not simply careless or merely reckless. Yeah, I agree with Gary Bettman. And I'm glad he put this in one of the 11 pages that it's, what was that? Utterly irrelevant how Ridley Gregg scored that goal into an empty net uh, for the Ottawa Senators a couple of days ago. So Morgan Riley will remain out uh, for one more game, which will serve his five-game suspension. We'll get Drew's reaction on that. Also, Yarmir Yager night on Sunday had some interesting moments, didn't they? I want to say thanks to Dominica, my girlfriend. Uh, she's too young to remember I played in Pittsburgh, but I... <laughs> But I told her all the stories, so don't worry about it. He last played in Pittsburgh in 2001, uh, by the way, if you want to start doing some quick math. Uh, but remember, Yarmir Yager, and he he has been he hasn't been hiding it on the way he lives his life. You remember the young lady who tried to bribe him with the photo that she slept with Yarmir Yager? And he was like, Go nuts. You're of legal age. I don't care. I'm not married. Whatever. And it was, hmm. Yeah. So uh, there was a part of Yarmir Yager's uh, speech. And he's got he's to get some advice from Drew Romendo on his color analyst. Language barrier. So we were... So, oh, f- Sorry. <laughs> genuine. I'm more, I'm more nervous than I play. Like <laughs> the player came out of you right there. Like, sorry, I was just like a little bit of an f bomb on the broadcast uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins as they uh, honored number 68. Of course, it was a busy weekend in the NHL. Uh, the outdoor games as well uh, in New Jersey with a couple of games out there. The NBA All Star Game. We'll dig into that as well. Everybody's trying to find a solution now to make the NBA All-Star game better because what was the final score? 1,000 to 997 or something ridiculous like that? How do we make this more competitive? How about this? Stop caring about All-Star games. I don't understand why everybody is trying to improve All-Star games. They are what they are. The kids got to see some windmill dunks during the game because there's no defense. Who cares? Live with it. Uh, But, yeah, we'll uh, talk about the NBA All-Star weekend and another lackluster slam dunk contest, the winner dunking over top of Shaquille O'Neal. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. with you here on the green zone hope you had a great family day mine was uh, really good mine went really well um thanks to Sportsnet and their regional restrictions i didn't have to watch that game yesterday oh, got a little pick and he scores 
Miller scores. Spin centers. It's in off the skate. Scores. Tries a wrist shot. He scores. Scores. Dropping the shot. He scores. Yeah. Under the crease. Deflected in. Centers. Erickson X scores. And it's score. Now it's center. They score. It's a hat trick. Centers tipped in. Kaprizov scores. Zadorov with a shot. He scores. Slap pass tipped in. Scores. And he scores. Yeah. 10-7 the final for the Minnesota Wild over the Vancouver Canucks. There you have it. For the people already texting, Jamie, you opened the show with 15 minutes on sports and you didn't mention the Canucks losing 10-7. to There you go. There, there. Are you happy now? I'm happy that the regional restrictions apply for almost every game yesterday. It was a busy NHL schedule. Really busy. Bunch of Canadian teams on the ice could barely watch any of them because regional restrictions apply. When we live here in Saskatchewan, with no NHL team. It boggles my mind, and it will forever, why we fall under any umbrella of regional restrictions. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Now that I can watch the game, I'm not going to travel the six and a half hours to Calgary. But I, I, I every so often, I get a message from one of our fans here on the green zone going, Jamie, can you get somebody on from Sportsnet and explain this? It's the NHL contract, apparently. And the powers that be are too lazy to just cut out Saskatchewan as being exempt from any regional restrictions uh, with our Sportsnet cable package. We either live in Winnipeg, Edmonton, or Calgary. At least we get three of the seven. So it could be worse. Like Vancouver can only, they can't watch anything else other than that one team. And yesterday, it was a 10 7 loss. Jamie Knight with you here on a Tuesday afternoon here on the Green Zone. Uh, still coming up, Drew Romenda weighs in on uh, Gary Bettman's 11-page assessment on why he is upholding the suspension of five games for Morgan Riley. And pretty much through this 11-page document, and it is well uh, detailed, as you would come to expect by the lawyer, Gary Bettman, um, Morgan Riley pretty well said, yeah, it was intentional. Yep. I could have uh, engaged him in a different way. But Gary also found that uh, Toronto, Treleving, Riley, and Shanahan in the appeal all said the same thing, which was Mr. Gregg's slap shot was provocative. It was meant to send a message. It was meant as some sort of tipping off point to why Morgan Riley did that, and that should be assessed. He slapped the puck into an empty net, and that that's why I lost my mind. But, of course, Gary Bettman says that discussion is, and I quote, utterly irrelevant to the five-game suspension. Uh, Gary also goes through all the different precedents that the NHLPA 
uh, brought to their attention on this guy got one, this guy got three, and it was pretty much nothing was done with the amount of force that Morgan Riley came in full skate half across the ice and then lunged in uh, to uh, Ridley Gregg. So he's only going to miss one more game. But, of course, when you're, you're trying to appeal, you're trying to get your money back, right? You're trying to get that game check back. Even if they reduced it to three, you've already served four, you get the game check back. And that's thousands upon thousands of dollars for an NHL player. So we'll have more on that. Plus, uh, some opinions already coming in on Austin Matthews. Should he be the Hart Trophy winner if he continues on this pace? Because he is flying right now with hat trick after hat trick. Got one yesterday, makes it 49 and 53. 50 and 54 games. Hasn't been seen in almost 30 years in the National Hockey League. So that's why I'm at the point of going, Austin Matthews has to be the front runner now for the Hart Trophy, does he not? As league MVP. And you can't penalize him for having William Nylander, as some of you are, because then shouldn't Connor McDavid be eliminated from the conversation because he has Leon Dreisaitl, who has also won a Hart Trophy a few years ago, and you still have Nikita Kucherov, you still have Nathan McKinnon, and others. But we'll have that debate uh, at 335 with Truth or Trash Tuesday on whether or not Austin Matthews uh, should be considered for the Hart Trophy. As I look up, the Scotties underway this afternoon. We'll keep you up to date on Skylar Ackerman, who's taking on Team Canada today in a very important game uh, for Skylar Ackerman and her rank uh, curling out of the Nutana Curling Club in Saskatoon. But there was an interesting story on Friday before the Scotties Tournament of Hearts and just before the Scotties Tournament of Hearts on Brianne Harris. The lead for Team Canada was deemed ineligible for the event, and nobody has been told what the heck is going on four days later. There are rumors, there are rumblings on what might have happened to the lead for Carrie Anderson, all of a sudden deemed ineligible. And Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun, um, of course, they curl out of Manitoba, so he's covered them their whole career, says... What's interesting is the timing. If it is, if it is a drug violation, you test positive, then there's an appeal, could be 20 days or so, three weeks, and then they'll make it public. But it's not up to Curling Canada or anybody else to make that public until it goes through the appeals process, if it is indeed a drug violation. And you'd appeal it because if you're positive, who knows what the penalties are for that. And we've seen this before. I never forget Silken Lauman, the great rower for Canada. Remember her and her entire team got kicked out of the worlds because she took the wrong decongestant? She took the one with the illegal substance in it rather than the one that didn't have it. And done. Lose your medals. Just a simple mistake like that could lead to uh, some big-time penalties but we'll keep you up to date. We have reached uh, Justin Dunk, our CFL analyst here on the Green Zone. You missed Rihanna. I apologize, my friend. Um, Thanks for playing it for me, though. I, I need I need to know. They they treated Simone Lawrence like a king last week when he announced his retirement or graduation or whatever the heck they're calling it uh, in Hamilton. 
Is Simone Lawrence a Hall of Famer? Oh, my goodness. Top 10 in tackles, three-time All-Star, one-time nominee for most outstanding player out of the East. You know, I feel like just with the tackles, it's probably good enough in his longevity. I know he doesn't have a great cup, but there will be some people that will say in the pro Simone camp that he should have been an MODP at the league level at least once, perhaps multiple times, but he has that reputation of being a guy that plays on the line or sometimes goes over it. I think, though, when you add up the resume, that he, at the bottom line, has a strong argument to get it. Do you with, think the, with the suspensions, with the... He's a dirty player. He's, he's like some people believe... No, come on, Justin. He's a dirty player. He's gone head hunting. He's purposely twisted the ankle of Terry Williams. He's done some cheap garbage, got fined and suspended for it. How big of a blemish should that have on a player's entire legacy in the Canadian Football League? I think it plays into it, definitely. Right When you talk to players around the league who are in the league for the majority, if not all of Simone Lawrence's career, they'll tell you that he was dirty. I just don't want to editorialize too much, but I think that that weighs into it. But when you look at the resume, the longevity in one city, which is rare, you know, I don't necessarily think that factors in for everybody, but in this day and age it should, then he at least has a really good argument. But I think you'd have to put him up there with who's he against in terms of linebackers that perhaps haven't gotten in yet. Well, eventually you get to Adam Big Hill, right? I'd put Adam above him. Um, we've already seen Solomon Elamimi, and I'd put him above, well, they, they were winning most outstanding players and most outstanding defensive players. Um, yeah, I, I I assume he will go in, but it's interesting on how much the hits he has made and some of the plays he's made in his career might impact the voters. Of course, we get yeah. to talk to one of those voters here on the Green Zone on a weekly basis, so... I don't know how much Daryl Davis can weigh in on that in the secret society that is the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, but uh, we'll throw it at him anyways. Uh, Justin Dunk, our CFL analyst here on the Green Zone. Um, the biggest fish left, I do believe, in CFL free agency, Tim White re-signing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Did the Riders ever have a shot at Tim White? Were they on the horn trying to get this guy in? Because American receiver is a spot I still see the Riders could fill. From what I was told, I don't think that was ever real. I think perhaps that was Tim White in his camp putting that out there to try to create some leverage for the Hamilton Tiger Cats to pay him more. And you look at what Jeremy O'Day had done in the past in terms of taking shots on bigger name, let's say, American free agent receivers, and it doesn't necessarily work out too well, right? In the recent past, Jake Wieneke didn't work out, I think, the way a lot of people felt like it would. And you look at the Riders' receiving core, and I don't feel like they need to be necessarily spending there. I think where they've spent their money was better investments, right? You have a solid receiving core, I think, at the base with a lot of upside. If Keen Schaefer-Baker can return to his 2022 form, then I don't think you need a guy like Tim White, and there probably wouldn't even be enough targets to go around for him there. Well, it's, it's interesting. On Since we talked to you on Tuesday, the one big signing the Rough Riders have made, again on the offensive line to add to Jamarcus Hardrick, is Ryan Sevier. And I that that is one of those players under the radar, has been a divisional all-star, has been one of those candidates and top offensive linemen in Calgary to join with Mark Mueller. All of a sudden, you bump Logan Furland out of a starting spot, and he's a young up-and-coming 
offensive lineman in this league. The, the Riders have really, and the uh, signing today, Hubbard, the left tackle out of formerly Tampa Bay Buccaneers, clearly Jeremy O'Day has done more work this offseason and the last two offseasons with Godbrew and Blake to rebuild this offensive line again. That's the real key to me. I think, you know, you want to talk about Tim White in relation to the offensive line. Would you rather have a Jermarcus Hardrick at right tackle when you've had issues at tackle for umpteen many years? Or would you rather have Tim White in the receiving court? I think you'd rather have Hardrick at right tackle and, as you said, bring in a Ryan Sevier for improved depth from a Canadian standpoint and a guy who can push, if not overtake, Logan Furland on the interior there and then try to find an American at left tackle, then adding Tim White in the receiving core and going young, which they've done for multiple years in a row now, trying to find a tackle. So when you kind of fit the salary cap pieces together, you can kind of see what the riders are doing in terms of where they're going to spend their dollars and cents. I think this Sevier signing is one that shouldn't go under the radar. The guy, as you said, has played at an all-star level, and the riders haven't had this kind of depth, especially among Canadians on the offensive line, you know, I think in a little while at the least, and maybe quite a long time. Well, it I dare relate it to 2012-2013 off-seasons, but I will compare it. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Grey Cup this year by any estimation, so don't twist it, Justin Dunk. I don't run a read three-down nation, Green Zones, Jamie, and I saying the Riders are going to win the Grey Cup. Uh, but in 2012, they went out and got Brendan Labatt and Dominic Picard. And then they started complementing those pieces. Chris Best was the young up-and-coming offensive lineman, or more than young and upcoming. He was on the 0-9-10 team. You drafted Ben Heenan. You go out and trade for Xavier Fulton, who was a relative unknown, and boom. Uh, there is your starting five in a Grey Cup game, four starting Canadians, of course, in a dominant victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It didn't take one year like that. It took two years for that offensive line to build. And I, I do see some similarities between how Jeremy O'Day has built this offensive line compared to Brendan Tamman and, of course, his assistant Jeremy O'Day in 2012-2013. Indeed, he's been through it. He's a former offensive lineman himself. He knows you have to have depth at the position, and he's done what he said he's going to do the last couple of off-seasons in investing and putting the money there. And I think the cherry on top, ideally, if you're Ryder Nation, is Jermarcus Hardrick leading the way and perhaps helping some of these young tackles that come into camp. That's something I think that could go under the radar. It's one thing when you're young and learning the game and you're getting these reps, but to have a veteran there who knows how to lock down some of the premier pass rushers in this league, that could be invaluable to some of the young guys, like you mentioned, Jonathan Humber, that they signed today. Okay, uh, Justin Dunk, uh, some respect coming the riders' way from Three Down Nation. Uh, you, you pulled the crew... 11 contributors. The Riders have jumped up to 5th from 8th in the power rankings just with CFL free agency. Is that too high a leap? Where did you have them, J.D.? I don't think it's too high. You know, I'd have to go back and check exactly where I put them in at, but I think I was thinking about that 4-5 to five range, right? Because you look at the CFL landscape, and you know, admittedly we didn't do a power ranking after Corey Mace was hired, so I think that factors into this as well, but but the moves that they're making with Trevor Harris, presumably healthy, I think that's what factored into my vote and a lot of my three-down contributors' votes as well. You look at this team in the West Division, and you think, you know, they at least got to be the third-best team, just based off of last year. Well, they've done an addition, changing the coaching staff with Corey Mace, 
And then for me, I look at the BC Lions and I think, okay, arguably the best player on their team is gone to the NFL. Their number one receiver is going to be out for the majority, if not the entire season in Keon Hatcher. And on defense, they just aren't quite the same with some of the pieces that have changed there, right? TJ Lee suffering a major injury. So I think, okay, is it a lot to ask of Corey Mason his first year to make the playoffs in the West Division? Potentially, yes. But when you start breaking it down, and, you know, I just don't think the Edmonton Elks, I could eat these words, Chris Jones might want to shove them down my throat, but aren't scaring anybody right now, especially on defense. They give up Jake Ceresna. AC Leonard isn't back. I think that has more to do with the difference in valuation where he sees himself versus where the Elks see him. But who on that defense scares you from a pass rushing perspective? Yes, Jones likes guys, but you just don't have 10 sack guys that drop out of the air. And, you know, I know they added Michael Thompson, but I don't know how much of an upgrade he is to help that team get out of the basement. And then I look at Calgary, and I like some of the pieces on defense that they've added. I think they're really good there. Those guys got to stay healthy. That was a major issue there. And in the receiving core, outside of Reggie Begleton, who really scare, scares you. And Jake Marisol has a lot to prove. So that's why I think the Riders kind of fit in that mix where around where we have them in that fifth overall range right now. But they got to go out and prove it on the field. There you go. A Justin Dunk guaranteeing playoffs this year for the Saskatchewan Rockets. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Uh, Justin, always appreciate your time. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Thanks, buddy. You too, nice. That is Justin Dunk, our CFL analyst here on the Green Zone as we get to this day in sports next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.